Well, despite the fact that it feels like um, football is about ready to start for those of us who care about NFL football, and that the CFL football race is heated up dramatically, one of the things that's going on right now in Canada is that there's a team in Toronto called the Blue Jays. And they are starting to play some pretty good baseball. Not just starting. They've been doing this for a while now. The Blue Jays are looking pretty good. And as a baseball guy, i got to tell you, I get excited about this. It brings me back memories of another Carter, Joe Carter, who once hit a very famous home run. And we had people like Pat Borders, who played extremely well. There's a Hall of Fame second baseman named Robbie Alomar who played for the Toronto Blue Jays. Those were great days. It's the only thing Toronto's ever been able to brag about. At least since 1967. So I'm excited that baseball is, uh, is going on in a big way in Canada. From age 7 to 15, I was a baseball player. I played football, I boxed, I played basketball. But my heart was in baseball. And until I was 14, I was not too bad playing baseball. But when I got to be about 14, I started hitting not so well. I found myself a little bit too slow running the bases. The coach didn't ask me to pitch anymore. And what happened was that baseball outgrew me. I didn't grow enough. And baseball outgrew me. I was as good as I'd ever been, but the game of baseball got better than me. And I didn't play it so well anymore. All of a sudden, I felt like a, I felt like a duck out of water. So I decided that I would turn to something at which I seemed to do okay, and that was running. I put myself completely into running. It was a whole new world of success that opened up for me, and I found with time that I could maybe not play baseball so well, because I was made to run long distances. And the fact is, my whole world changed. And my story of being a duck out of water fits certainly with another story. When the tale begins, there's a mother duck whose eggs hatch. One of the little birds is perceived by the other birds and animals on the farm as a homely little creature and suffers much verbal and physical abuse from them. He wanders sadly from the barnyard and lives with wild ducks and geese until hunters slaughter all the other flocks. He hides and makes it through, but he is always rejected and always alone. He then finds a home with an old woman. But her cat and the hen, they tease him mercilessly, and again he sets off on his own. He sees a flock of migrating wild swans, and he's delighted. He's excited about these swans, but he can't go and join them because he's just too young, and he can't yet fly. So winter arrives, a farmer finds and carries the freezing little bird home, but the foundling is frightened by the farmer's noisy children and flees the house. He spends a miserable winter alone in the outdoors, mostly hiding in a cave on the lake that it partly freezes over. And when spring arrives, a flock of swans descends on the now thawing lake. The ugly duckling, now having fully grown and matured, unable to endure a life of solitude and hardship anymore, decides to throw himself at the flock of swans, deciding that it's better to be killed by such beautiful birds than to live a life of ugliness and misery. And he's shocked when the swans welcome and accept him 
only to realize by looking at his reflection in the water that he has grown into one of them. The flock takes to the air and the ugly duckling spreads his beautiful large wings and takes flight with the rest of his new family. It's a beautiful story. And you guys know this story. Almost everyone in the room probably has heard some version of that story. It was written by Hans Christian Andersen to emphasize the fact that we can all become way more than we think we are. Real transformation can take place even for those who seem to be most incapable of almost anything. And so here's a question that I want to start with this morning. There's the ugly duckling story. You know it. You, I think, see the point pretty easily. But let me frame a little bit of a different question this morning and ask this. From what circumstance does the swan's problem arise? What caused the swan to have all the problems that he did? What what was the the impetus for this? How is it that the swan gets himself in this situation anyway? And there might be different answers that you can come up with. I want you to think about that for a moment. I'm going to have Melissa and Mike come up and do something for us. And then I'm going to get back to this question in just a minute. What circumstance does the swan's, from what circumstance does the swan's problem arise? What caused the swan to have all the problems that he had? The world says the most important relationship you can have is with your spouse or your family. Jesus says, love me first and feed my sheep. Take care of my church. The world says the most important investment you will make is what house you will buy. Jesus says the most important investment you will make is to invest in a life that follows me. The world says you are beautiful if you wear the latest fashions and designer clothes. Jesus Jesus says you are beautiful when you put on love and are clothed with Christ. The world says you need to depend on your technology to communicate and stay connected. Jesus says you need to depend on me and stay connected with me and my church through the Holy Spirit. The world says science and medicine will answer all of our problems. Jesus says I am the truth, I am the great physician, and I am the answer to all of your problems. The world says you're as important as the amount of money you have in your bank account. Jesus says you are valuable because I created you, love you, and died for you so that you could have treasures in heaven. The world says work hard, look out for number one, and you'll earn the things that will make you happy. Jesus says real joy comes in giving up your life and putting others first. That's interesting to me because I don't know that there is necessarily anything horrible with the things that Mike was reading. Like Mike didn't read anything where after he read it, I thought to myself, oh no, don't do that. 
But Jesus still has some kind of answer that balances out, I think in a significant way, what it is that the things Mike read were all about. In fact, I would say that Jesus, in fact, fills us in a way that the things that Mike was reading can't possibly. And I think it really goes along again with this question. From what circumstance does the swan's problem arise? What caused the swan to have all the problems that it did? And I would say, I think probably some of you have thought about this and probably would say also, that the swan's basic problem is not that much different than Kelly trying to play baseball. I was a duck out of water. This was a swan who was trying to be a duck and found himself from the beginning in a circumstance where that's what he thought he was supposed to do. From the outset, the swan is out of place. Just think what would have happened if the swan would have been laid in a swan's nest instead of in a duck's nest. I've been trying to figure out for a long time exactly why it is that the swan first lays its egg in the duck's nest. Hans Christian Andersen doesn't tell us that. Would have explained the whole thing, perhaps. But at least I know why it is that the swan finds himself in such a predicament. He tries to live out a life that is not his. And so in the beginning, he tries to fit in as a duck, but he's clearly not a duck. And because he was not a duck, he experiences unhappiness day after day because he started with trying to be a duck. And when he finally finds his way back to a flock of swans, his whole life turns around at least as dramatically as mine did when I started to run instead of play baseball. And the fact is the same thing happens to us, all of us. But in our case, instead of being raised in the wrong nest, those of us who are Christians go so often and try and find a flock of ducks to join. In fact, we try to be ducks when actually we are beautiful swans. I want you to turn to the book of Revelation. It's on page 867 in your pew Bibles. And here's my claim. As you're turning there, here's my claim for this morning. In our case, instead of being hatched in the wrong nest, Christians go and join the ducks, trying to be ducks, wanting to be ducks, when in reality, we are beautiful swans. And Jesus talks specifically about this in so many words. I want you to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 with me in the book of Revelation. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. You are swans, he says. Yet I hold this against you. You want to be a duck. And so you've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You're not going to be a swan any longer. 
And it's so easy for us to make that choice. Look down at verse 12 in the same chapter. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name, you swans. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you keep trying to be ducks. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now look down at verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. You were so beautiful. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering. I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. In other words, be a duck, or sorry, be a swan. And then chapter 3, verse 17. You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and I don't need anything. But you don't realize that you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become a swan. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they will be a beautiful swan as they eat with me. Now there is some embellishment of those words. I have added to the word of God. I've put in the word swan occasionally and the word duck. But I think you get the point. It is so easy for us to not see who we are and to be satisfied with what God has made us in being the beautiful swans that we are. And so the problem with each one of these churches is that they've allowed their surroundings to determine who they are rather than their real identity to determine who they are.